copy of Abel's and we'll look at Mark chapter 14. And then we're going to move over and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thanks. So Mark chapter 14, I believe the words will be up on the screen as well. We're going to look at verses 1 through to 11 and then jump over to 2 Corinthians. So Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why has the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them, betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and picking up at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are we, sorry, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for these passages. 
And we ask and pray for the help of your spirit uh, to hear uh, what it is that you are wanting to speak to us as your people. We think of the, the words of Jesus as he addressed the churches in Revelation. Um, it says, let he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our God, we would ask and pray that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that we would get a glimpse of Jesus in his glory and that we would hear something of the voice of God speaking to us through the word of God. We thank you that your words are spirit and they are life. Father, I ask and pray that you would bring guidance where there is a need for guidance. Tonight, I ask and pray where there's a need for comfort, that you would comfort. Where there's a need for strength and courage and boldness, we ask and pray that your word would bring those very things. We ask and pray perhaps where our hearts are downcast and we might feel like the psalmist who says, why are you downcast, O my soul? We would ask and pray that we would have that sense of the joy of the Lord rising up in our innermost being. Lord, help us to lay aside anything tonight that would be a barrier between you and yourself and us. Lord, let us lay aside any pretense. Lord, let us lay aside, um, Lord, even our strengths. Lord, even the good things that are going on. We ask and pray, help us to lay these things down and help us to meet with you this evening. Help us to just know that we've met in the presence of the risen Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We ask and pray just now, bless and anoint the lifting up of the name of Jesus and the proclamation of the word of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm hoping to bring a word of encouragement and comfort tonight. Um, so it doesn't always work for me, though. For some reason, when I think like, I've got a really encouraging and comforting word for the church, there's always Sunday at the end of the service that will shake my hand and say, that was really challenging. So uh, somehow when I aim for uh, comfort and it ends up challenging. So I pray tonight this will be comforting. And um, if the challenge comes with it, then praise God. You know, there's a number of paradoxes in Scripture. Um, for example, you know, some people would say it's contradictions, but it's a paradox. It's two things that seem to be a contradiction, but they're actually um, two sides of truth, if you want. So if you want to be blessed, if you want to prosper... The Bible says, give and so generously, uh, which is opposite to how the world thinks. The world thinks, well, if I can just save, if I can just amass, if I can look after number one, then I'll be blessed. But the, the, the kingdom of God turns all that upside down. If you want to be blessed, the Bible says, give. If you want to be exalted, if you want to be honoured, the Bible tells us to humble ourselves. And again, that's the exact opposite of the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is push yourself forwards. You know, it's that dog-eat-dog world. It's um, survival of the fittest. You make sure that you excel, that you get to the top of your career, that you become the best in your job. Make Push yourself forwards. But the Word of God tells us if we want to be exalted, if we want to be honoured, then we need to humble ourselves. From Jesus' perspective, the way up is first and foremost the way down. He also says things like, um, if, if you want to find your life, if you want to experience life, you need to lose your life we need to die with christ we need to take up our cross and follow him there's also the whole idea that there's one god but this god exists eternally in three persons the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit one god three persons so there's always this kind of always kind of find these paradoxes and you can expand it further to things like god's sovereignty human responsibility 
and, and these things are there. And, and often the church can go off when we fall into one side and we forget the other side of truth. So tonight, the paradox I want to think about is the idea that the Bible tells us that God is a healer, that God is the one who restores things that are broken. That, that's very much the revelation of God through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That he's a God who brings restoration and healing into our life. Think about the words of Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Think about the words in Isaiah 53 where the ministry of Jesus is described. It says, beautiful words, a bruised reed he will not break. You know, when a person comes to God in a place of brokenness, the Lord's gentle with them. He won't crush someone who's in a place of brokenness. He deals gently with those who are going astray. But I think often what happens is... um, you know, even, for example, in life as well, we're all, we're all broken people to a certain extent. We live in a fallen world. And no matter how successful or influential or powerful that we are, there's an element of brokenness there. And the good news tonight is God's a God of restoration. You know, think about it all throughout this community. Right now, there's going to be families that are, that are broken. Dad's left home. There's going to be families that are broken with financial struggles. There's going to be families that are, that are broken with alcoholism. Possibly even two, three, four, five generations of alcoholism. And all the while there's this good news that God can bring restoration. That God can set people free from their addictions. That God can restore marriages and restore families. So there's restoration. There's restoration for us as God's people. As God's people we're not immune to difficulties and trials. And the truth is we can come to church um, limping. I mean, we've become masters in church at putting our good Sunday clothes on, getting the makeup on. That's just Alec, of course. And, uh, you know, and making ourselves look quite presentable. But actually, with inside, there can be a brokenness, there can be an orphan heart thing that's going on in the insides. And the good news is, is there is restoration for us as God's people. We can experience Jesus restoring broken areas in our lives. Wonderful scriptures that we can take comfort from. I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. In other words, even when we go through seasons where everything seems to get robbed in our life, whatever that is, God can bring restoration into that situation. It might be a child who's now an adult who's walked away from God and you're seeing no signs of the kingdom of God in your adult children or your grandchildren. The locusts have come and have ravished that field. But you know that promise? I will restore the years the locusts have eaten is as relevant for us today. But here's what happens though. Um, in order for God to restore us, and in order for God to bring us into a place of fullness, because we want to move in the fullness of God, we want to move in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we want to be used fully by God, but in order for God to bring us to a place of fullness and wholeness, he's got to break us. He has to break us. So here's what often happens. This is what happened in my experience. Um, a person comes to Christ in a place of absolute and utter brokenness. Crisis. And what can often happen in that place, whatever it is, whatever the cause of that crisis, or that desperation, that person might have an overwhelming sense of the love of God flowing over them and flowing through them. I certainly had that experience. And many, millions through the ages have had that experience. You could actually find yourself so impacted by the presence and the love of God that you're, you're physically shaking and trembling 
in the presence of God. You may even hit the ground. And and what happens is there's a powerful conversion. Jesus breaks in in a very, very real way. I don't know if you remember that kind of song, um, walking on sunshine. That's what it can be like. The person is just walking in sunshine. It's just, you know, wherever they go, um, you know, they're just like a big walking rainbow. Everything's great. The sky's blue. The flowers are growing. Everything's wonderful. But what can happen is, after a, a time, and it can be a short time, you start to find that the old emotions, the old reactions, the old desires, the old attitudes start to come back to the surface. And you think, oh, hang on a minute, I thought I'd get born again. I thought I was a new creation in Christ. I thought I had become a Christian. Where's the joy? I don't seem to feel the joy of the Lord. Right now, I don't feel very loving. I'm just driving. This guy's cut me up, and I just want to bless him with two punctures. You know, what's, what's going on? And th- these are the things that come back to the surface. And what I think can happen there is, when that happens, you've all known it, people to get enthusiastic about the Lord, but then when this starts to happen, they fall away. Or they camp in the wilderness. They, they, they don't necessarily move on with God. They don't fall away from church. But they just stay stuck in a wilderness. And it can be for years. And it can be for decades. God doesn't want us running from the work that he's doing in our life. But he doesn't want us camped in the wilderness either. What's actually happening is God wants to begin the breaking process that's in our life. And when the stuff starts to come to the surface, God's beginning the breaking process process it's a lot like this alabaster jar that contains the perfume let me just read again from mark 14 and verse 3 it says while he was at bethany in the house of simon the leper as he was reclining at the table a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly she broke the flask and poured it over his head this the passage that we read in second corinthians paul says We've got this treasure in jars of clay to show that it's a passing power belongs to God. There's two metaphors here. There's two pictures. One is the idea of this really precious perfume that's contained within a jar. The other metaphor in the other image is the idea of just this clay vessel that's got this treasure within it. And that's my first point this evening, and we're just going to just highlight it and then move on. But if we're a believer in Christ, you and I are just common clay vessels. There is nothing special or powerful in us. But we're common clay vessels carrying something of tremendous value. This this perfume, it says, um, it was very costly. It was about a year's wages. So what happens is, Mary comes to Jesus with the alabaster flask, and it's costly and it's expensive. And she takes it and she anoints the feet of Jesus. In, John, um, in John's version of the events, it says that she anointed the feet of Jesus. She anointed the feet of Jesus. So what's happening here is there's a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think this, tre- what's the treasure in the jar of clay that Paul's talking about? And in a sense, what is the whole purpose of this alabaster perfume? It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of the person of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, people were anointed with oil and to often kind of launch their ministry, kings and prophets and priests. And what we have here is this fragrant oil. Jesus uses the words that she's anointing me and she's preparing me for burial. So it's, it's a signpost that's pointing towards the ministry of the Spirit. 
But it's also prophetic because it's pointing to Jesus' death. This woman is seeing something prophetically that the disciples are missing and the Pharisees are certainly missing. And again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life is to point people not to us, but to Jesus Christ. It's to magnify Christ. It's to make him be seen more fully. But here's my second point. God does not only want his life and his fragrance and his spirit to dwell within us, he wants his life and his fragrance to manifest through us. And that's, that's the key thing. God wants his life to be seen through the church. Some, we know the old sayings and the old cliches that for some of us we might be the only Bible that people read. There was something about the early church and the early disciples that when even their opponents looked at them, they came to the conclusion these people have been with Jesus because the presence and the life of Jesus was flowing through them. You know, I've got a wee bit of tongue-in-cheek thing here. Bear, bear with me. It's my last night anyway, so I suppose I can get away with it. Um, you know, sometimes I think unbelievers would be forgiven for thinking that if this God of the universe lives within us, he must be playing hide-and-seek. Where is the evidence of God in our midst individually? And where is the evidence of God in our lives collectively? Is he hiding away back in the spare room somewhere? And what I would suggest this evening is, God hasn't come into our lives to play hide-and-seek. He wants to play peekaboo. You recognise the difference? Hide-and-seek and peekaboo. Uh, that, I was preaching this this morning in Stirling, and it just went down like a lead balloon. I had all these international students just looking at me going, peekaboo, what is he actually talking about? But you know the difference between hide-and-seek and peekaboo? Hide-and-seek, you hide, you can't be seen. Peekaboo, you get a fright of your life because, you're, you know, boo, I'm here. God wants to, in a kind of sense, meet with us in a way that gets our attention and shakes us to the core of our being and transforms us. In John's account of this anointing with perfume, it says this, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You and I are the house of God, to change the metaphor again. And God's purpose for his house is to fill it with his presence and with his glory. He's not just looking to pour his blessing into us, which he is, but his ultimate desire is that the blessing that we receive when we gather in church, as church, as a house of God, is that that flows out of us. It's like that picture in Ezekiel, isn't it? With the temple, and you've got the river which flows from the temple. And what does the river do? The river gives life to everything it touches. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen to us. I've heard somebody once say, that sometimes the church becomes a bit like the Dead Sea. It's like it's got, it's got the, the river, it's got the waters flowing in, but it's got nothing flowing out. God's purpose is not that we're like the Dead Sea, but it's like that there's an overflow and there's something that flows over our life and blesses and touches those that are around us. Second Corinthians 14, sorry, chapter 4 makes this quite plain. In verse 10, verse 10, Paul says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that's the first thing he says, and we'll come to the death of Jesus thing in a minute. But the purpose that they're carrying around in their body, the death of Jesus, is so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. And he goes on and he says, we're always in danger of being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And he says the same thing. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus manifest in our mortal flesh. Again, what's that talking about? It's just basically saying, 
that the life, God's purpose for the life of Jesus Christ is for it to be seen in you and through you by others. That there's something of the character, the presence, the nature of Jesus that's seen in us and through us. It's not just us trying to become good people and follow the example of Jesus and do the things that Jesus and the word of God tells us to do. But it's Christ living in us and through us. A complete and utter new creation. Not just some kind of, you know, dressed up, improved, self-improved version of ourselves. But Christ within us, the hope of glory. So he wants the life of his son to be manifest and expressed through our lives. Let me just ask a couple of questions. What, does that, what do you think that might look like? What does that look like for the life of Christ to be expressed from the inside to the outside? What, what would it look like? What does it mean for the, the fragrance, to go back to the perfume image, what does it mean for the fragrance of Christ to be released in our lives? What does it mean for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be poured through us? And I'm thinking here collectively, but I'm also thinking individually. I think in the context, the first thing that it means is it's a life marked by praise and worship. Just thinking of the context of the passage, this woman who comes and who anoints Jesus Christ with her tears, uh, with the perfume, and you know, dries his feet with her hair, this is an act of devotion. This is an act of absolute worship and adoration to the Lord. There's a, a verse in Song of Songs which says, Well, the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. You know, we gather in the presence of the king tonight. Let me ask you questions. Does our perfume spread its fragrance towards heaven? A more modern translation says this, As the king surrounded me at his table, the sweet fragrance of my praise perfume awakens the night. So that kind of more modern translation just kind of drawing out that idea of worship and praise. Of course, we know that's a common picture in the Old Testament. Uh, very often worship's associated with fragrant incense or with sacrifice and that, that, that fragrance ascending to heaven. But if we gather in the name of Jesus, we should gather as a spirit-filled people. And one of the marks of a spirit-filled people is praise and worship and adoration. We love to sing the praises of the king. And the wonderful thing is, is when we praise and when we worship, we're not just singing songs, but actually heaven draws near. Heaven draws near. The very atmosphere changes when the fragrance of praise is released from the people of God. There's a beautiful scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, and it says, when everyone's worshipping and they're gathered as the people of God, if an unbeliever should come into your midst, um, the secrets of the heart will be revealed They'll fall down and they'll exclaim, God is in this place. God is amongst you. That was in the writings of Paul. In other words, when people come through those of a church and they find a worshipping community that are filled by the Spirit of God, there is something about that place that can cause a deep conviction to fall upon the people that, that come into the meeting. Because heaven has drawn near. The other thing as well that happens is it will stir up the devil. It will stir up the religious spirit and it will provoke the critical spirit. Surrounding this passage, you've got Pharisees who are looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus. You've got some people who are indignantly scolding the woman for her exuberant 
costly outpouring of praise. And of course, they hide it under a religious veneer. That could have been helping the poor. Who's going to argue with that? Well, I, Judas, you're quite right. But, you know, Judas is trying to come across as being this, you know, person who's concerned for the poor, but it's all just a mask. What he's actually doing is, is he's trampling all over something very precious that's going on here. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus rebukes him. So these are, the Lord's looking for the house to be filled with that fragrance. A second marker, I think, what it means to manifest the life of God is the idea that God wants to release the prophetic through his people. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse, well, I don't know if you can look at it, but verse 8 um, of Mark, it says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand um, for burial. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus said the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be to testify and take that which belongs to Christ and to make it known. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 says, in these last days, God has spoken, or God is speaking through his Son. So God is speaking to the world just now. God is speaking to all the nations of the world and every individual that's in the world, and he's speaking to them through his Son. Jesus Christ is the current and present and final word of God. But how does he proclaim the word of the Son of God? He proclaims it through the church of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of God within us desires to testify through us and draw attention to the person and work of Christ. Let me suggest this evening, there is nothing more supernatural, there is nothing more prophetic than the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God's purpose is to use you and me these earthen vessels to reveal the glory of Christ. And even if it's just something as simple as just sharing the assurance that you've got in Jesus, the hope that you've got in Jesus, why you trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, God can take that, what can seem to be just a foolish and weak profession, and use it to be like a, a dagger that pierces someone's heart. It takes the, the, the foolishness of the preached gospel of Christ. To, to shame and confound the wise. It's the simplicity and the power of the gospel which, which sets people free. But here's my kind of final point, and it brings me to the, to the main point of the message. And that is embracing um, the blessing of brokenness. In order for God's presence and power to flow through is there needs to be a breaking. It says she broke the flask and poured it over his head. If Mary hadn't broken the alabaster flask, that ointment that was in would, would never have been released. If you and I are not broken by the Lord, the ministry of the Spirit that's within our lives will never be released. But the question remains tonight, how is it that God releases the ministry of the Spirit through us? How does he release the fragrance through us? Again, back to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest within our bodies. So there's treasure, there's life, there's fragrance within you and within me, but that's only going to be manifest when we undergo a process of brokenness. 
The jar needs to be cracked so that life can flow out. But how does that come about? Well, Paul said afflictions, persecutions, opposition, conflicts. This idea of being struck down. People can strike you down, can strike you down with their tongue, can strike you down with their actions. Your circumstances can strike you down. And all these difficulties that we go through, the storms in our life, the pressure that sometimes comes, all of that comes so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in us and through us. So whatever the difficulty or the storms in our life are, the whole purpose of that is God breaking that alabaster jar of our hearts that wee bit more so something more of Jesus can be seen in us and through us. I need to kind of balance this up though. This is a bit, follow me here, right? We can be broken through suffering, but we can remain unbroken. I don't know if that makes sense. We can be broken through suffering, but remain unbroken. If it was just a case of the suffering and the trials and the struggles that produce brokenness in our lives, I would say probably the whole world would smell at Jesus. Because everybody gets through troubles, everybody gets through difficulties, even the lost. And sometimes actually somebody can go through trials and troubles and difficulties but remain unbroken. What, what is the brokenness that the Lord's looking to produce? It's the breaking of the will. It's the breaking of a kind of hard, soulish life, but I guess it's the will, if, if you think about it. We can be emotionally broken. We can be mentally broken. Uh, we can be relationally broken, financially broken, but actually right at the core of our being still remain unbroken. You almost see a picture of it in the book of Revelation when the Lord's calling mankind to repent, just at the end times, and people would rather have mountains fall and crush them than repent. That's that kind of strong human will, I will not be broken, I will not yield. And suffering as well, rather than making us better, rather than making us like Christ, can actually make some people better. Sometimes what can happen is we become wounded in the trials and in the difficulties, and we actually short-circuit what God's doing in our life. Because the devil's got a purpose in the breaking as well. And the devil's purpose in the breaking is to keep us stunted, to keep us stuck, to keep us in a place of unforgiveness, uh, to keep us in a place of unbelief, to keep us in a place of disillusionment, where we just don't expect anything to change. But God's purpose in it is, is there to be a yieldedness, a surrender that's in the midst of what, what it is that God's doing in our life. Always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. I was talking about these revivalists um, earlier from the Welsh Revival. One or two in particular was really, really strong in the crucified life. The idea that God's purpose in our life is to bring us into alignment with the crucifixion of Jesus. That, um, because that's what Paul says, we have to be identified with him in his death and with his suffering. Paul says, I want to know him I mean, there's a lot of people that get excited about revival today. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, but Paul doesn't stop there and to share in his sufferings. For some reason, the way that God's orchestrated this is the way to life is through death. That the way to wholeness is through brokenness. That the way to experience the resurrection and fullness is through undergoing this process of trials and learning to discover what it means to be crucified with Christ's. Paul says, um, I am crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. 
And in that place, I think what the Lord's wanting to do is, is even our desires, all of our desires, all of our hopes, all of our plans need to be nailed to his cross. So that his desires, so that his plans, and so that his purposes um, can be revealed and manifest through our life. Somebody once said, you know, don't come to God with your plans and ask God to bless your plans. Ask God where he's moving and what he's blessing and get in line with that. Because it's that yieldingness. Rather than us trying to produce something for God, God wants to produce something in us and through us. Our natural tendency is to run away from pain and resist yielding to God. But the Holy Spirit's purpose is to use trials to bring us to that place of surrender and yieldedness so that the fragrance of heaven can flow through us. And I guess Paul's a perfect example of that. When he gets to that place in the Damascus roads where the Lord confronts him and on his knees, who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And that's what the Lord would have. As we were singing it tonight, perfect submission, perfect delight, perfect submission, all is at rest. The key to get to that place is the place of surrender and yieldingness. Lord, here I am. Fill me, cleanse me, move through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Ask and pray, oh God, that you would take, Lord, some of these deep concepts, oh God, and Lord, that you would just speak to each of us individually. Lord, there's different bits for different people. Lord, you know where we're at in you tonight. Lord, if we're, um, Lord, that bruised reed, Father, I ask and pray that we'd have that sense of your gentleness, uh, just bringing wholeness and, and strength and comfort into our life. Lord, if we're in that place where, Lord, we need to bow, we need to yield, we need to surrender afresh, Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us to do that, that we would come afresh to the altar, that we would lay everything down and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Here I am, send me. Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of the saints here. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in the life of the leaders and the church at Riverview. And Lord, all the other local churches in this area. Lord, we just ask and pray. Let the fragrance of Jesus fill our houses. Let the fragrance of Jesus fill your house. Come, Spirit of God. Fill our hearts and our souls and our minds. Bring healing where we need areas to be healed. And bring us closer to the Master. Thank you for your grace. It's all by grace. Unconditional love. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's conclude um, our service. Um, we're going to sing um, hymn number 765 in the Mission Praise. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus?